Welcome to Every Day. Welcome to a couple of weeks on our vision and our values. Now there's a huge danger when pastors, when leaders, when speakers get excited about vision. And that danger is this. It's almost if we forget everything that's gone before and we go, come on, let's go again. Well, I do want to encourage you over these two weeks. But I want to remind us as well of what God has been doing, what you have been doing. To help us do that, we're going to show you the video that we showed at our banquet back in July. It's a reminder of what God has been doing amongst us over the last year, but also it's a thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your service. Thank you for, for turning up week after week and seeking God and expressing the kingdom of God in all that you do. Let's watch the video. Another year has flown by. We're all a little bit older and hopefully a little bit wiser. So much has happened since we were here last in June 2022. The world looks quite different. But we continue to meet together to worship and to preach the word of God faithfully. Wise and wonderful, the Lord God made them all. He made thee, I don't know the words, but also he made these. He's really, really clever. He can even do trapeze. Sound all right? Sounds great. It was a delight to celebrate Christmas 2022 together in our venues and proclaim that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Our Advent calendar helped us to count down to the big day. At Easter 2023, we gathered to celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. Over the two weeks of Easter, we were joined at Everyday Church Online by nearly 5,000 people and in our London venues by 876 people. We had the joy of seeing 12 guests tell us they had made commitments to follow Jesus, our risen King. We've journeyed through John. We've reminded ourselves of our vision and values. We've walked our way through Exodus and prayed our way through the Lord's Prayer. And in April 2023, we celebrated 10 years since the launch of services at Everyday Church Southfields and Everyday Church Kingston. We continue to pray that God would lead us and be with us as we love these communities and seek his wisdom for the future. Speaking of prayer, we've done a lot of praying together in the last year. We've had asked prayer meetings in all of our buildings and held weeks of prayer to seek God and bring our requests to him. And as we've prayed, we've seen God answer. We've seen him provide. After years of faithful service overseeing safeguarding everyday church, David Featherstone laid this role down. We honour you, David, for your faithful service. And we praise God for Penny Welsh, an answer to prayer who joined the team in May 2023 and has already done a wonderful job. We go on thanking God for providing Tim and Caroline Nathan. They are leading our Wimbledon venue with sincere love, servant hearts and Jesus-like gentleness. We also praise God for opening up a new space for Everyday Church Croydon to meet in on Sundays. This was an answer to many people's prayers over many, many months. We ask that the Lord would continue doing the wonderful work he is doing in that community. In the summer of 2022, our young people were back at New Day 
We praise God for testimonies of our young people encountering Jesus in life-changing ways and building friendships that will stick it out for the road. We're looking forward to New Day 2023. Everyday Church Online continues to be a wonderful tool in God's hands to serve thousands of people all around the world. We are humbled by the way God uses our small loaves and fishes to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. What a good God we have. With all the joys we've faced, we've also felt pain. We've grieved and we've wept. We felt the sharp reality of this temporary and fading world. We have lost ones we love dearly, but we have not lost hope. Our God is the God of resurrection. We go on devoting ourselves to this joy-filled, spirit-led community that loves one another deeply and spurs one another on to good things in all the answered and unanswered prayers, in all the celebration and the challenge, in the laughter and in the tears, we continue to follow the Good Shepherd who binds us all together and calls us by name. We hear his loving voice calling us to trust him again for another year. The world around us will change, but he will stay the same. His church will not be shaken. And it's people like you that in God's hands bring his kingdom of light to a dark world. It's people like you that make everyday church a place for the lonely to find a home. It's people like you that lay their lives down day after day in sacrificial love for the most unlovable. It's people like you that point others to Jesus and call them to follow him. It's people like you who express grace and forgiveness because you know you have received grace upon grace and have been forgiven much. It's people like you that model genuine community in an increasingly hostile world. It's people like you, yes, you, that display the unending love of our God to a generation that so deeply needs it. You are Everyday Church. We thank you. So we start this week in Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 19, and I'm going to read through to verse 34. I'm reading from the NIV translation. You can uh, follow along in your Bibles if you have one. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If the eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying at a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So I say, do not worry. For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Before we move on, I want to give you a couple of minutes and I want you just to note down on a bit of paper on your phone if you have one, note down up to seven words. It doesn't matter if it's less than that, but no more than seven words. And the things that are dominating your thought life at the moment, the things that are dominating your life at the moment, dominating your activity at the moment. Away you go. Have you heard about Russ Cook? In the last 150 days, Russ has been robbed, kidnapped, he spent the night in three different police stations, he's been arrested, released, bribed, he spent at least 10 days in the desert, at one point he ran out of water in the desert and he has gone through three pairs of running shoes. Why? Well, because he has a vision. Russ Cook is currently trying to run the length of Africa. He has a vision to be the first man to ever do that and as part of that to raise over £100,000 for the charity Water Aid. He's currently somewhere in the Democratic Republic of Congo. His vision is shaping his activity. 
Vision matters. Vision shapes our lives. Our picture, our view of the future will ultimately shape the here and now of the present. That's true in the mundane things of life. If I, if I want to eat a certain meal on Wednesday, I have to buy certain food on a Monday. In the big decisions of life, if I want to be someone who can take a man's heart out of his chest, mend it and put it back, I better work pretty hard at school and at university. I think that moment has probably passed me by. If my vision of a better life for my family means I'll walk a hundred of miles, hundreds of miles across continents and climb into an already too full boat and cross the busiest shipping lane in the world, I'll do it. Vision shapes us. Without vision, we're told the people perish. Without revelation, the people cast off restraint. When we have a true revelation, we will live fruitful and healthy lives. Vision matters. Capturing God's vision matters most. Over these two weeks, we're going to be reminding ourselves of our vision and values. Next week, we'll unpack it in more detail. At the beginning of this year, we spent six weeks looking at seven words. Son, Father, Spirit, Grace, Community, Kingdom and Love. We recognise that seven words in six weeks is not time enough to truly unpack the vision God has for us. But to build them into our culture, we need to keep reminding us of them. We need to keep reminding ourselves that we are ordinary people being transformed by an extraordinary God. That we are image bearers and kingdom bringers. And all that is well and good, but the trouble with preachers is, let's face it, we don't live in the real world, do we? You know, we, we sit in our offices studying the word. But life is not that simple. Life is not necessarily dominated by the seven words of Son, Father, Spirit, Grace, Community, Kingdom and Love. Life is dominated by the words you wrote down a few moments ago. Work, family, pressure, illness, targets, children, sleep, no sleep. These are the things that crowd in. How then... Do we hold on to the revelation? How do we hold on to God's vision and values in the midst of all the, let's call it, stuff? There's a technical term for you. Well, what does Jesus say? Well, we read his words a few moments ago. These verses in Matthew chapter 6, taken from the Sermon on the Mount. Now, often in modern Bibles, verse 24 and 25 are separated by a fresh heading. It might help us find it on the page, but it's not actually that helpful. You see, Jesus is not making two points in these verses. He's making one main point. And I know that because the word therefore appears at the start of verse 25. And that means therefore. It means in view of what I've just said in verses 19 to 24. How do we un? pack that. When Jesus is talking about seeking the kingdom in verse 23 and investing or storing up in heaven in verse 20, he's actually casting the same vision. 
And in the rest of the passage, Jesus is addressing our struggle. That we may in our heart want to have our lives focused around God and community and grace and kingdom and love, but we get distracted by the things of life. Not bad things, just stuff. So let's unpack this passage together this week and see how Jesus helps us. Verse 22 says this, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? In these verses, and in when Jesus says, where your treasure is, your heart is also, Jesus is using Hebrew phrases to express vision. We may think of vision as a kind of secular 21st century management concept, but here Jesus is reminding us that vision is part of the human condition. When the Hebrew language talks about vision, it talks about eyes and it talks about hearts. Those things that reflect who we are, where we find why we get up in the morning. And Jesus does not mince his words. Healthy vision is great. Healthy vision brings life. Unhealthy vision, unhealthy life. In fact, darkness. The word healthy here is a compound word and it carries a sense of generous living. Sometimes it's translated a generous vision, to have a generous eye. It's about living life beyond oneself. Hence the negative version implies the opposite, a sense of hoarding, of keeping to oneself, of self-centeredness. Jesus unpacks this self-centeredness when he talks about our worry. We worry about what we will eat, what we will wear, what we will drink. Unhealthy vision, Jesus, is preoccupied with oneself. What then, according to Jesus, is healthy vision? Well, it's to invest in heaven, to build treasure in heaven, to seek first God's kingdom and righteousness. Whose kingdom? The Father's kingdom. Notice Jesus says in the passage, your Father knows you need these things, therefore seek his kingdom and his righteousness. And what do we know about the Father and his kingdom and his righteousness? It is generous. It is about giving, blessing, honouring, releasing, empowering, forgiving. It's about love. It's about loving God and loving our neighbour. It's about looking beyond ourselves rather than getting wrapped up in focusing on our needs and our wants. Simple. Easy. Don't focus on yourself, Simon. Focus on God and his generous love. Job done. But of course it's not that simple because of the stuff. Because of the stuff on my list that challenge my vision. That challenge my ability to keep focused on the things of God's kingdom. Jesus doesn't ignore these things in this passage. Jesus identifies the challenge. 
And I've summarized what he identified in under three headings. And of course, I'm a preacher. They start with the same letter. Wealth, worry, and weariness. Let's start with wealth. I mean, it's possible that these three words express kind of one distraction. But let's deal with them individually. Jesus is clear. Wealth. And by that, not just money, but the stuff that we purchase and build up. Wealth so easily distracts us from the kingdom of God. And Jesus addresses both the distraction and the power of wealth. Do not store up treasure on earth, he says. Now, Jesus is not saying that we do not need money and possessions. Later on, he clearly says, your Father in heaven knows you need these things. The challenge is in this phrase, storing up. These words used here are the same words Jesus uses in the parable of the rich fool that we read about in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. In that parable, we're told that an already rich man has such a bumper harvest, which let's face it, has nothing to do with him. The sun shone, the rains came at the right time. He has this bumper harvest, he's already rich, so he has this opportunity to be generous. But what does he do? He says, I know, I will build bigger storehouses. I will knock down my barns, I'll build bigger ones, I'll fill them to the brim, and then I can just sit back because I am now secure in my possessions. The implication, what is being challenged, is where we place our security, where we place our identity, what we think keeps us safe. If we store up treasure on earth, we're basically saying, ah, my foundation is my stuff, my security is my stuff. We don't have time for the kingdom We don't have time for the things of heaven because all our energy is going to securing a physical, present home. Now, we're not talking here about those who have to work three jobs just to pay the rent. No, Jesus is challenging our place of trust. And Jesus recognizes that there is a power behind this. When Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money, if you read the original Greek, it uses the phrase mammon, which which talks of the power, the force, the God, if you like, behind this drive to try and establish our security in our wealth, in our finances, in our stuff. Now when it says you cannot serve both God and money, Obviously, many people do serve more than one master in our world. But the Greek word here is the Greek, is the Greek for slave. Jesus says this, you cannot be enslaved to two masters. You cannot be owned by two masters, which was true in his day. If you were a slave, you were owned by one person and only one person. The inference is clear. If our time, if my time, my energy, my talent, my thoughts are constantly drawn to securing my future financially in my wealth, at best, I am going to be distracted from the things of the kingdom. At worst, I am enslaved to a false god. Wealth 
gets in the way because it can use up our time and our energy. Worry steals us away from the kingdom because it occupies our mind, our thought life. Fundamentally, worry is about fear. It's about being afraid that a possible event in the future will happen and allowing that possible event in the future to change how I think in the present. It's fear. Now, for some, worry and anxiety are crippling. And an ill-thought comment of, don't worry, it will be all right, is both naive and uncaring. But for all of us, if we're not careful, our worry about the stuff, about protecting our stuff, oh, what will happen to my pension fund? What will happen in my home? What will ha- These things, what, what, what will happen about what people think of me? These things, they occupy our thoughts. They pull us away from thinking about the things of God the things of the kingdom, the things of heaven. Wealth, worry, also weariness. Maybe this is just a result of the pursuit of wealth and the worries of life. But I think Jesus is recognizing that one of the things that pulls us away from a kingdom vision is just being tired. We're just too busy, too busy, busily. We're just too busy, we're just too tired. We love to have energy for the kingdom. Oh, have you seen my diary this week? When we spend our time seeking our security in our stuff or worrying about whether we'll have enough stuff or whether the kids will have enough stuff in the future, we end up physically and mentally exhausted. In the NIV translation, which we read, it's translated, the pagans run after these things. It's not the best literal translation of the text, but it does communicate something of the drivenness of our society. It can feel like we are caught up in a society that is constantly running and running after more stuff, more recognition, more more safety and security and what we've amassed and let me tell you running is exhausting when jesus comments in verse 24 on the power of wealth and that you can't serve both god and money i think he's also making a pastoral statement that when we try it's exhausting to be full into to the workplace and to to wealth on a monday but oh back no it's sunday now i need to be full in on god oh and now it's now it's oh it's a tuesday morning i've got that project i must be fully investing that oh but now it's life group and i need to be fully it's just oh boy i'm tired just moving across a stage we get weary i don't know if you've ever seen the play one man two governors it's exhausting well, this one guy is, is, is pretending he's only got one boss, but he's trying to serve two. It's hilarious, but it's exhausting. Wealth, worry, and weariness. This is the reality of life that Jesus is recognizing. None of this stuff is bad, but it can get in the way. So what is Jesus' solution? Well, he encourages us to remember to reflect and to relate. Remember. One of the reasons I get focused on the stuff of this world is because I forget about the next. 
I forget that I'm not ultimately created for the here and now. I'm created for the eternal. The reason we can get so distracted by the stuff of this world and place our security in that stuff is because we start believing that this world is all there is. Jesus reminds us that this world is transitory. This world is a place of decay, of rust, of moths that eat, of thieves that steal. Ultimately, this world is a place that will be recreated in the new heavens and the new earth. Now, that does not mean that we shouldn't care for our environment or work hard or seek to build a just society. In fact, Scripture teaches us to do all of those things. It's not that this world doesn't matter. It just means this world doesn't matter ultimately. What we do in this world does echo in eternity. But it's eternity that we're built for. As Paul tells us in Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only are we created for eternity, we need to remember that, we must also remember that we are called to bring eternity into the here and now. Jesus asked this rhetorical question, is not life about more than food? The answer is meant to be yes. This life is about the spiritual, not just the physical. Life is about love and friendship and creativity, and joy, and laughter, and worship, and beauty, and family, and community, and peace, and justice, and generosity. Jesus is lifting our heads. Remember, you are meant for more than just the mundanity of life. You're meant for eternity. Jesus is calling us to remember, to call to mind the unseen realities of faith. Jesus calls us to remember and he calls us to reflect. How do we remember these things? How do we remember we're created for eternity? Well, pause and reflect. The NIV translates it, look at the birds. Look at the flowers. The ESV says this, consider the birds of the air. Consider the flowers of the field. Again, the ESV carries more of the weight of the Greek, which means literally give thought to. You know that worrisome mind? Well, get out of the worry zone, get into the reflecting zone. I love what Andrew Wilson says about these verses in his book, The God of All Things. Let me read you a little bit. This is about flowers. Consider the lilies, he says. Think about them. Stare at them. Smell them. Get their pollen on your shirt. Now what do you notice? They don't do much, do they? They just sit there, unstressed and unhurried, without toiling or spinning. Their beauty is incomparable, but it isn't earned, it is given. They don't even last very long. Eventually you chuck them out and replace them with another bunch. Yet no human in history has been clothed like these. If God dresses them like that, as temporary and disposable as they are, then he'll dress you too. So why are you anxious? 
because I don't just want enough to wear, I reply. I don't want enough to eat and a roof over my head. I want nice clothes and food I enjoy and plenty of personal space. And I don't know whether I'm going to get them all. I want people to like me. I want my life to have meaning. I want my wife to be happy and my children to thrive and next week's meeting to go well and my reputation to be better tomorrow than it was yesterday. I want the lines in my finances to go up rather than down. I want to finish my life knowing that I've done enough, provided enough, loved enough. I want to live and not die. I want a myriad of things that may or may not happen. That's why I'm anxious. Is there any wisdom, any therapy you can suggest for someone like that? And he says, flowers. Isn't that great? Reflect. Remember the reality of who we are. Jesus points us to his creation to change our perspective and thus transform our vision. Remember the eternal, Jesus is saying. Discover it by reflecting on the temporal. And let both those things help you relate afresh to the Father. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them, he says. At no point does Jesus deny the importance or the need of food, water, clothes, and by inference all the stuff that's on your list. They must simply never become our place of identity or security. We find our foundation, Jesus is saying, not in the created, but in the creator. Not even in God's power or might, but in God's fatherhood. Jesus is not trying to get us back on message because he has some work for us to do. No, Jesus is drawing us back to who we ultimately are, our true identity, children of the living God, secure in the hand of the Father, created for relationship, that the kingdom of God would flow out of that relationship as we seek what the Father is doing in the midst of all the stuff. When we drift, when we get distracted from our calling, when we start living our lives in, focused on the nitty-gritty of life, in effect, we are living our lives in the black and white of food and fashion and fame, whereas God is constantly calling us to the full four-color 4K version of his eternal purposes, the kingdom of God. Vision matters. Vision shapes our lives. Healthy vision is essential for a healthy life. Our vision will shape how we spend our time, our talent, and our treasure. We recognize that we can so easily be distracted and deterred from our vision because the world around us robs us of our identity. As we look at Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, we see how he seeks to recalibrate us around our eternal identity as children of the living God. And from that place, he says to us, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are our Father, that you know our need, that you're a God who provides, but you're also a God who calls us to lift our heads and to live life with a true kingdom vision. Help us to do that 
through these coming days. Amen.